Extended survival outcomes are becoming increasingly common after a diagnosis of multiple myeloma. What are some of the therapies responsible for these advances? And how far are we extending survival? How will current research further our understanding of effective therapies for multiple myeloma? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, professor of surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and our guest today is Dr. James Berenson, president and CEO of the Institute for Myeloma and Bone Cancer Research in West Hollywood, California. Dr. Berenson has led extensive research on multiple myeloma. Welcome, Dr. Berenson. Thank you. Today we are discussing current modalities under investigation for treatment of multiple myeloma. Dr. Berenson, tell us about your years of experience with multiple myeloma research and how did you become so passionate about it? Well, I've been working on multiple myeloma research for more than two decades. I stumbled into the field when a cousin, a prominent orthopedic surgeon in the Los Angeles area, developed this disorder. And at the time, I was working on the cells that make antibodies, which lo and behold turned out to be the same cells, the plasma cells, that are the malignant culprit in multiple myeloma. And watching what he went through 20 years ago and the lack of therapeutic options and the suffering that occurred in his case really spurred me into wanting to make patients' lives longer and just as important with more quality. Could you briefly give us a summary of what is multiple myeloma? Multiple myeloma is a form of bone marrow-based cancer in which a type of white cell called the plasma cell becomes malignant. This cell normally makes antibody, and what happens in multiple myeloma is instead of very, very few of these plasma cells that are generally existing in normal marrow, patients with myeloma have many, many plasma cells, more than 30% and often more than 50% of their marrow cells are plasma cells. These make antibody and they produce lots and lots of it, and this can then lead to many clinical problems. And these are the Bentz-Jones proteins that we've learned about in medical school? Well, that's one type. The Bentz-Jones is actually what we call the light chain dimer or part of the antibody molecule. An antibody normally has two heavy chains and two light chains. That's a complete molecule. The Bentz-Jones protein, which sneaks in the urine because it's smaller, it has just the two shorter or light chains present, that protein is only really half of the four chains present in a normal antibody. In fact, most patients make complete antibodies, and that is a marker that often is observed in the blood as evidenced by an elevated total protein. And then when separated out, these patients often have a monoclonal protein in the blood. As well, as you mentioned, they can have the so-called Bentz-Jones protein, which is in the urine. Now, generally, how do these patients present? Patients most often well present with back pain or an, ac- an incidental fracture, and in that time when an x-ray is done, it's found that there may be a malignant component to causing the fracture, or in the case of back pain, they may have a vertebral compression fracture or, again, a hole, a so-called lytic lesion in the bone that leads one down to eventually diagnosing myeloma. Patients also on routine blood work may be found to have an elevated total protein, and on further separation of the proteins, again, a monoclonal gammopathy or monoclonal antibody is, is identified. Other patients may be found because as part of a workup for anemia, they are found to have myeloma suppressing their bone marrow function, leading to anemia. And sometimes patients present with renal failure, and as part of that workup are found 
they're found to have either light chains in the urine, the so-called bench proteins we talked about earlier, that then lead to renal failure, or they may present with hypercalcemia, leading to renal dysfunction. And what generally is the mean survival? Well, it's really impressively gotten longer. When I started this business, it was about two years. And then in about 2000, we were about three years. And our most recent data from our own group is really, really astounding. The median survival in our own group of patients now, everybody that walks in the door is about 10 years. Now, what accounts for that dramatic increase? Well, there's been an amazing number of new agents that have moved into the clinic, not only as single agents, but more importantly, have been demonstrated to be markedly more active when either combined together or combined with the tried and true older chemotherapy agents, and then adding in one of these new agents. The results have been just dramatic in terms of responses, quality of life, and improving survival. So there is no one gold standard treatment for multiple myeloma? No, there's not one paradigm anymore. In the olden days, it was pretty straightforward. It was in older folks, conventional oral chemo and prednisone, and then wait and watch. And then it became in the younger patients, even those less than 65, a few months of chemotherapy, generally not with melphalan, other agents such as adriamycin, followed by autologous transplant, that is transplanting back the patient's own. First it was bone marrow, and then in the 90s it became blood stem cells. But there really was a dramatic shift with the new millennium in 2000 with a panoply of new drugs, which were demonstrated first to have activity as single agents, and then more impressively were shown to act very good when combined, as I said, either together or in most cases with some of the older agents like the chemotherapeutic agents. If you have just joined us, you are listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, and with me today is Dr. James Berenson, President and CEO of the Institute for Myeloma and Bone Cancer Research in West Hollywood, California. We're discussing current modalities under investigation for treatment of multiple myeloma. Dr. Berenson, how do you decide what treatment you're going to give to which patient? Well, I like to, in a simple slide, do a Venn diagram, which takes into account the characteristics of the patient's myeloma. That is, how much bone marrow suppression do they have? Are they anemic? And do we think the anemia is related to the myeloma? Are they having significant bone problems? Do they have fractures? Do they have bone pain? Do they have kidney disease? And you think the kidney disease may be related to the myeloma. How are they feeling? How is it affecting their quality of life? And then in some cases, we do what's called cytogenetics, looking at the chromosomal abnormalities in the myeloma cells. Although today, the latter tests will tell us who may be at better or worse risk for outcome, it really doesn't tell us specifically what to give a patient. So today, it's kind of hard to use that test in any clinical, meaningful way to guide us in terms of individual therapy. The second part of the Venn diagram is the lifestyle and the work style of the patient. How active is the patient? Are they a skier? Are they a backpacker? Do they like to play piano? Are they a surgeon? All of these are going to come into play. And then the third part of that Venn diagram is what other conditions does the patient have? Do they have heart problems? So they may not be a candidate for certain drugs like anthracycline, such as adriamycin or doxyl. Do they have neuropathy? That is, do they have numbness or tingling? Maybe from diabetes, so maybe they won't be a candidate for thalidomide, which causes permanent damage to the nerves and irreversible neuropathy as a result. So I take it this is not a simple algorithm, that there's many different approaches based on many different variables. That's correct. There are a lot of different ways to slice the bread, so to speak. And in 2008, I can't tell you yet, we have any curative 
procedures, but we certainly hope that that is coming over the next few years. Now, you're very involved with your own myeloma center. Tell us about that. The Myeloma Center here is a nonprofit organization that attempts to develop new therapies for myeloma patients, also to take existing drugs and figure out how to better combine them. We've also been able to identify several new targets, which we're now trying to build into a therapeutic mode, but it's early yet. But it's been very exciting because within our organization, we have been able to directly demonstrate first in the test tube, so-called in vitro studies, and then in vivo animal studies, the efficacy of these drugs, first to single agents, and then optimizing them in combinations with other older agents. And then we can rapidly move that into clinical trials mode with a CRO that I run called Oncotherapeutics. So the beauty of this model is the quickness which which things can get translated from the laboratory to the clinic. We're not encumbered by the amount of committees and the slow pace at which things happen at the universities and academic centers here. Were there any disadvantages of having your own center as opposed to a center with the university? Well, I think the downside really is just initial funding and you have to be willing to take that risk. But I think the upside is just watching every day in clinic how well patients are doing based on therapies that we initially developed in the lab, tested nationally through our CRO, and now patients are receiving all over the place. Well, where do you get your funding from? Well, the funding for the Institute is from grateful patients and patients' families and friends, from a number of nonprofit foundations that may be either related to myeloma, such as the Multiple Myeloma Research Foundation, or may be related to larger, not necessarily medically specific nonprofit foundations, for example, the Annenberger Skirball Foundations or the Kramer Foundation. And then we do a lot of work with the pharmaceutical and biotech companies on their own drugs in which they will give us contracts to do specific work and we are then able to help develop these drugs rapidly with the support of the company. Now, when you extrapolate from the animal to the human clinical model, does the IRB process and involvement of the FDA get more or less complex having it be your own center? It's much less complex being our own center. We do, you know, dot our I's and cross our T's like any other group, but we don't have to deal with all the internal committees and the slowness of the university, but we do certainly get all the proper approvals, whether it be for animal work in the nonprofit that does the preclinical work or in oncotherapeutics through which the clinical trials are done, and then we use the usual IRBs to make sure everything's done properly and deal with the FDA when necessary in terms of NDAs and other procedures that are required to initiate a trial. It seems like it's a huge undertaking to running your own institute. Yeah, it is quite an undertaking. We have, if you will, three rings here. We have the ring, which is the nonprofit, the ring, which is the CRO, and then the ring, which is the practice, which keeps me honest, I like to say, every day by seeing patients. And that's really great because it's both keeps you honest and at the same time, there's nothing that can be more rewarding and watching the patients doing well from things that you initially tested in the laboratory setting. Well, Dr. Berenson, I'm going to ask you a very straightforward question. How does your research compare to the research coming out of the major university institutions across the country studying multiple myeloma? Well, I 
don't want to get into whether we're doing better or worse. I think they're all important things to lead to hopefully ultimately a cure. We certainly do our own sets of projects, and some of them are quite different from my colleagues in the field. Some of them may be similar. I don't want you to think that this medicine or this scientific research doesn't involve the same kind of quality as the university. We send our papers to the same journals as all my colleagues do, whether it's at Harvard or at MD Anderson or Mayo Clinic. They undergo the same kind of review process, but we, again, can do things quite rapidly. And I think also I'm able to do things a little bit more on the edge in a way because I have donors who want to really move this field forward quickly. They don't want things to go slowly, if you will. I want to thank our guest, Dr. James Berenson. We've been discussing current modalities under investigation for treatment of multiple myeloma. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, and you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to visit our website at reachmd.com, now featuring on-demand podcasts of our entire library. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. And thank you for listening.